Well, good morning. How are you doing today? Okay. Um, and all those who are viewing on uh, podcast, good morning or good afternoon or good evening to you. As you are aware, this month we've been looking at uh, how lives are changed and we've had some great messages and great testimonies about that and I've been asked to share about that this morning including um, some personal testimony which I'll get to shortly but before I do that I want to look at the transformation that takes place in a couple of the most significant people in the New Testament and that is the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul I was just sitting there and the cartoon of the Apostle Paul pretty much said everything I was going to say so I'm not sure how that works and then in Matt's uh, thing about baptism, a good deal of what he said there. So really, basically, I'm just going to say good morning and sit down. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> basically, transformation or change is something that's wrought uh, from an encounter with the risen Christ and then by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And as Matt said, it is an ongoing process which we call um, sanctification. It's a lifelong process. But there is this initial change whereby we are changed from what we were not following Christ to what we have become in following Christ. And, of course, we know the Scripture says that all things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. And so there is a momentary change which is highly significant and then there's this process we call transformation. I don't have time nor the brief this morning to talk about the process but I want to look at some examples of the results of the process. I remember the first week when um, Jono preached in introducing this whole series, he showed a slide of a tree in a town in Adelaide, where, in South Australia rather, where his father lived. you recall that? And he talked about the invisible nature of the Holy Spirit, the wind blows where it wills, and how that was an illustration of the tree had bent to the prevailing will, uh, winds. And so it was kind of illustration of an invisible work. And this morning, if we look at the lives of Peter and Paul, plus something else in a minute, we can see the effects of an encounter with the risen Christ and the transformative power of the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, I want to read you some pretty hefty amounts of Scripture. Um, so if you'll bear with me while I read them together. So we're going to read from, Matthew, uh, from Mark chapter 14, verses 27 and following. I'm reading from New Living Translation. So whatever's in your phone, go for your life. On the way, that's after they've been in the upper room, Jesus told them, all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised from the dead, I'll go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter said to him, even if everyone deserts you, I never will. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times that you even know me. No, Peter declared emphatically, 
Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others avowed the same. This is chapter, verse 66. Meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below. One of the servant girls working for the high priest came by and noticed Peter warming himself at the fire. Jesus looked at him closely and said, you are one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. Just then a rooster crowed. When the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling the others, this, this is definitely one of them, and Peter denied it again. A little later, some of the bystanders confronted Peter and said, you must be one of them because you are a Galilean. Peter swore, curse on me if I am lying. I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. And suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times that you even know me and broke down the whip. Now, we all, if we've been around even a little while, probably are familiar with this particular story of the Apostle Peter, this extraordinarily impetuous person who emphatically said, whatever happens, I will never deny you. Now, we can judge the God and what I would have done in the same situation, but this is what happened. But interestingly enough, we see this progression and come to Mark chapter 16, and we read this. Don't be alarmed. This is when the ladies, the women, Marys, the different Marys came looking for the body of Christ after his crucifixion and he was laid in the tomb. He said, don't be alarmed. This is the angel. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they lay him. It says, go tell his disciples and Peter. That's wonderful. Peter, who so catastrophically denied Christ in Christ's desperate hour of need, and yet Christ in his grace, after his resurrection, when talking to these women about meeting them and going, he singles out Peter. Don't forget, tell Peter. He knows our name. He knows our circumstances. He knows where we live, and he's able to find us and minister to us in whatever way we need. It's interesting in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 5, chapter 15, Paul's talking about the resurrection, how that Jesus appeared to all these people, including the 500 at one time and so forth. And in verse 5, it says this, and that he appeared to Peter. From my readings of this, it would seem that the first of the apostles and the first of the leaders who were to become leaders, that, Peter, that Jesus contacted or met or encountered was Peter and then of course Jesus ministered for that, that period of time before the, for the ascension taught them many things and then we find the apostles and the 120 in the upper room and this is what I would like to read to you from Acts chapter 2 in this 
progression of Peter from what he was into what he becomes. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty storm and that filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard this loud noise, everyone came running out and they were bewildered to hear them in their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are from Galilee, yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people of Mesopotamia, Judea, all these different places, both Jews and Greeks, Arabs and so forth, and we hear them speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them and said, they are just drunk, that's all. Then in verse 14, this extraordinary sentence, then Peter stepped forward. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd and began to preach the first sermon of the newly formed church. The person who was a coward is now stepping forward and preaching despite people ridiculing and declaring that this one whom you crucified has been made Lord and Christ. And that's what we read a few minutes ago. That's when the people responded, what shall we do? The apostle Peter, as he became, from a fisherman that he was, had an encounter with the risen Christ and was transformed in that moment and was being transformed by the profound infilling of the Holy Spirit that he experienced in the upper room. Changed forever. As a result of uh, Peter's preaching, 3,000 men and women were added to the church in a moment of time. And consequently, from that point on, many other thousands of people to this day are being added to the church from an encounter with Christ and to a profound infilling of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul, many have said, is the most influential person or Christian other than our Lord Jesus Christ, responsible for 13 books of the New Testament. And his missionary endeavors began to change the then known world. But the Apostle Paul, as we saw, I can't believe I'm saying this, we saw in that cartoon, was transformed from someone who hated Christ, a blasphemer, an enemy of the church, to a champion of the church. And let me just read to you a few verses together quickly. 
from Acts chapter 9. During those days, Saul, full of angry threats and rage, wanted to murder the disciples of the Lord Jesus. So he went to ask the high priest and requested a letter of authorization he could take to the Jewish leaders in Damascus. Look, because you've seen the cartoon, I'll just cut this short, okay? <laughs> Paul was on the way, blinded by a light from heaven, and was confronted by the risen Christ. It says later on, Paul says, as one untimely born, when he's defending his apostleship. He sees the Lord Jesus in his resurrected glory and is, is blinded by the experience and by the brilliance of that circumstance. And then led by his companions into Damascus and for three days and three nights he ate nothing and could see nothing and was obviously troubled by what he was experiencing but transformed nevertheless. And then... God speaks to Ananias, a godly Jewish man, and says, I want you to go and begin to lay hands on Peter, on Paul rather. Uh, reluctantly, I guess, Ananias went because Ananias knew that Paul's brief was to arrest everybody who was a follower of the Lord. And so this is what the Lord said to Ananias. The Lord said, go at once to the street called Abundance. This is the... TPT translation, and look for a man from Tarsus called Saul. You will find him at Judah's house. While he was praying, he saw a supernatural vision of a man named Ananias coming to lay hands upon him to restore his sight. But Lord, Ananias replied, many have told me about this terrible persecution of those in Jerusalem who are devoted to you. In fact, the high priest has authorized him to seize and imprison all those in Damascus who call on your name. The Lord answered, Arise and go, I have chosen this man to be my special messenger. He will be brought before kings, before nations, and before the Jewish people to give them the revelation of who I am. I will show him how much he, must, how much he is destined to suffer because of his passion for me. And then I left and found the house where Saul was staying. He went inside and laid hands on him and said, Saul, my brother... The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me to pray for you so that you may see again and be filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. At once the crusty substance uh, over Paul's eyes disappeared and he got up and was baptized. And after eating a meal, he was strengthened. Listen to this. Verse 20. Within the hour... He was in the synagogues preaching and proclaiming, Jesus is the Son of God. From a blasphemer, from a persecutor, one who countenanced the murdering of Jesus' followers, to one who is now proclaiming the very name he tried to eradicate. Transformation, change from an encounter with the risen Christ and a profound infilling of the Holy Spirit. And the Apostle Paul, as I said, through that encounter and through that empowering, fundamentally has influenced the world to this very day. My grandfather was an interesting man. 
uh, he fundamentally was a drunk, uh, had a lot of kids. He was not well educated. He wasn't sophisticated. And he was born again of the Spirit in the early part of the 20th century. And my grandfather um, was in what was known as the Sunshine Revival. Uh, Probably never heard of it, but there it goes. And it was probably, as some of us would understand, the first outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In that respect, in that time, uh, it was a profound uh, moment in time. And then he became an evangelist. Now, he didn't uh, have a magazine, um, but hey, he was still a a good evangelist. Just If you don't understand that, don't worry about that. My grandfather was was transformed from a godless man, a drunk, to a man that loved God with all his heart and preached to many, many hundreds and hundreds of people in the church in which he was a part of and in churches to which he was sent and to the open air meetings as we used to call them. My grandfather would go into the domain and he'd go into a particular corner in Melbourne and preach. And my dad used to tell me he would come home covered in fruit and tomatoes. They didn't have much money, so they just scraped him down and <laughs> made lunch. But he, <clears throat> but he would be covered in, in eggs and, 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 and fruit and stuff because of his preaching. I remember as a little boy listening to my grandfather in his room Now, excuse me. He would pray all day Saturday, all day, for the next day, for for the meetings, and to go and preach in the open air. I don't know how many hundreds of people my grandfather impacted and influenced, both directly and indirectly through his ministry. He was a song leader, we call it a worship leader now in the church in which we grew up. And he was, would work at the altar in laying hands and ministering to people. My grandfather was transformed by an encounter with the risen Christ and by a profound infilling of the Holy Spirit. I grew up in that church. It's now called Numa. It used to be called Bridge. It used to be called Richmond Temple. And yes, folks, I was in the Assemblies of God. (laughs) And now I'm a Baptocostal. (laughs) My paternal grandparents and my maternal grandparents in, in South Australia were both involved in that that early outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the beginning of the 20th century. And I'm very grateful for that. 
And when I was a kid, I was in Adelaide on, on holiday, staying with my grandparents. Uh, I gave my heart to the Lord or saved or whatever terminology you want to use, about seven years of age. Because I, the guy was preaching on the end times and I thought, my goodness, I better get this sorted. And really had a pretty um, profound, even as a kid, sort of encounter with Christ, the risen Christ. And some years later, you know, baptized in water and then depending on your theology, um, I was about 14, I had um, what I'd like to call a profound infilling of the Holy Spirit, a profound encounter with the Holy Spirit, life-changing, such that all day and all that night, I was just sensing the presence of God in such a way it was just overwhelming. And the next few years, I continued at school and whatever and went to university, went to La Trobe University when there's 400 students in the first year. I'm that old. I was ill-prepared for that, actually. We lived a very sheltered life within the kind of confines of our church and so forth. And Sadly, because of very, very poor decisions, I backslid grossly for about seven or eight years. I studied psychology, sociology. I backslid so grossly that I lost my faith in God. I could no longer believe that there was a God. And previous to this, I was at a church camp, as we had at summer, and responded to an altar call to give my life to becoming a minister of the gospel. Well, that went by the board, one would have thought. And so I lived in a way that was so inappropriate and did things that were so inappropriate to the point of really becoming an emotional and spiritual wreck, really. But my parents never gave up on me and continued to pray. And one day at lunch, my dad said, Son, don't you think this has gone far enough? And it woke me up. Anyway, that was kind of a moment. And then a little later on, he said to me, Phil, there's this guy called Gene Scott, this American preacher who I loved when I was young. He's preaching at the Campbell Town Hall and so I, I attended that meeting still not in great shape and still really not thinking that God existed but I went and in at the conclusion of his message he said there are seven people in this room that I've come to Australia for who are called of God and for the life of me, I stood up with the other six people. I'm, go, I'm, saying, I'm sort of standing going, what is this? But it was the beginning of the journey back. It was not the, 
end of the journey, but that, that was the beginning of the journey back. And bit by bit, I started to be restored. I started, I actually got a suit because that's what you did. Didn't wear a tie, but I, I got a suit and started to attend the church again, still with this deep sense of not really believing that God is true. But I used to say to myself, even if this isn't real, it's better than it was before. And slowly but surely, God began to restore me. And in the midst of that restoration, the call of God emerged again. You know what? I told you I had a profound experience with the Holy Spirit at 14. But during this whole mess of coming back, I woke up in the middle of the night, I was living in a place in Carlton, and had another encounter with the Holy Spirit. And the thing is, whilst I could somehow in my mind deny the existence of God, I could not deny the experience that I had as a seven-year-old and as a 14-year-old in that powerful experience with the Holy Spirit. God knew he didn't predestine me to backslide, but he knew in his foreknowledge I needed that so that I could fix up here. The grace of God, friends. And he's been so faithful to me and given me the opportunity for years to preach the gospel as worthy, unworthy as I am and have been. I had an encounter with the risen Christ and a profound encounter with the Holy Spirit. And by His grace, it's still happening today. I'm sure you're all familiar with the scripture in Romans 8.28. God causes all things to work together for good. Is that what it says actually it says and we know I may have said this before when you get old you don't know what you said before <laughs> I may have said this before but the great preacher and author R.T. Kendall calls this the family secret and we know what do we know do you have family secrets my son could look at me in a particular way and know exactly what is going on there's just these little family secrets that happen. And the family secret is this. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to them that love God and are called according to His purposes. God doesn't orchestrate the failure. That's a product of our choices. But God orchestrates the restoration and the redemption. And God would cause us to have an encounter with the risen Christ and a profound experience in the Holy Spirit so that we again can stand up and walk forward in the purposes of God. God 
causes all things to work together for good. He caused all things to work together in the life of the apostle Peter. He wasn't indiscriminately chosen. No, God knew him from the beginning before the foundation of the world. God had prepared him up to a point. He made some terrible choices, but God chose him and God used some of the stuff in his life to be a part of what he was to become as the apostle Peter, who later on not merely uh, preached, but gave his life and was crucified upside down in Rome. God chose Paul, the blasphemer and murderer, because he was so prepared in terms of his training in the Torah and in the Word, and so zealous that God chose him and encountered him and empowered him in the Holy Spirit to do what he did. God causes all things to work together for good. To them that love God and are called according to his purposes. If the team would please come up. Friends, if I can call you friends. (laughs) And we know. And we know. We know that God causes all things to work together for good. We have had an encounter with the risen Christ and we are changed and we are being changed from glory to glory. And we will be ultimately changed permanently because we'll see him as he is. But in the meantime, we are in the process of transformation. The process of sanctification where the Holy Spirit is guiding us and leading us and renewing us according to scriptures and making us to become like Christ. Because Romans 8.29 says, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. We know and we know God causes all things to work together for good in order for us to become like Jesus. What a privilege. If you'd like to stand with us this morning. We'd like to pray for anybody. We'd like to open the front of the church to pray for anybody who would like a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit. Look, friends, I'm not here to foist upon you any kind of theological position. What I'm here to do is encourage you to understand there's always more. There's always more. More of God. More of the Holy Spirit. More of His profound power and goodness. And this morning, as we're in the presence of God, the Holy Spirit would come and begin to minister to you and begin to encourage you and lead you forward. Perhaps this morning you have erred in some way and you are not living as perhaps you feel you could have or should have. But and we know God can cause all things to work together for good. 
perhaps some dreams of ministry or some things that you've had in your heart that didn't quite come to pass, weren't fulfilled. Perhaps you're left with that sense of disappointment and disillusionment even perhaps. But this morning, the Holy Spirit is here and His intention is to bless you and to minister to you and to restore you, enable you to move forward as though nothing had happened as it were. You see, God hasn't changed His mind. God didn't change His mind about me as though I wouldn't have blamed Him if He did. But He didn't because He's loving and gracious. And God hasn't changed His mind. And whatever it is He spoke to you about, it's still alive today. And God can bring about restoration. God can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can ask or think. And He's here now by His Spirit. He's among us even as we speak. And He wants to bless us. He wants to empower us for the year ahead. He wants to restore us and get rid of the garbage and the, ga- and, <clears throat> and the baggage. We're going to sing, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. And if you would like prayer this morning, even if you just don't necessarily want prayer, you just want to come and stand and say, God, I want more. I want you to fill me afresh. Ephesians 5.19 says, be being filled. 5.18. Not a one time, it's a over and over experience in the Holy Spirit. Be being filled. So we're going to sing and I invite you to come this morning. And there are great people here who are prepared to lay hands on you or pray with you or stand with you to see God minister to you. But this month is about change. Change. For the better. Change for the future. Let's sing together. And come if you will.